Hello once again to Robert Nauer Unfiltered, a podcast I've been doing now for about four to five months, and I normally talk on government contracting, my time in the Navy, how things have changed, life in general, and, uh, and I try to do some mentorship out there. But this particular podcast is different. I don't know where to really fit it in, but it's just something that I thought that I really had to do because of my concern as an American citizen, as a patriot to America, my country, my constitution, as a military officer, as a retired Fed. The way I see things going is much like Joe Biden actually sees them going, and I have to say he's quite right. You'll understand more as I go through this particular podcast. And I hope you listen to it, and I hope you really, really listen to it and comment back about what you think about it, uh, because I, I personally am very worried, like a lot of people are. I'm very worried about 2024 and whether we will have a country that you and I and others will want to live in and have our children live in should Donald Trump get back in office. So I've entitled this particular podcast of Robert Nauer Unfiltered, 2024, A Time of Reckoning for America. Will you stand up for democracy? As a former Fed and military officer, let alone a civic-minded patriot that loves America, I am not for a world that Donald Trump and his clan preach about. I'm not for hate. I'm not for totalitarianism. I'm not for violence, and I'm not for hurting others. I'm kind of a laissez-faire, uh, live-and-get-along. I'm for fairness. I'm for growth, thoughtfulness. And I also have a belief that our current federal government can do all of this and much more for all Americans. Now, I can't tell you for a fact that there wasn't a time when I didn't have hate in my heart. There was a one-year period where I was really angry after I got out of the Navy before I went back in because of the way I saw things going and other issues. But those times have passed, and they often do pass if you are a rational human being. And also, being my age, I have mellowed with age, as we all should. We should not get angry. We should mellow with age and be a kinder, gentler, more thoughtful nation. So not much angers me today, except what truly does anger me is when I see our precious tax dollars squandered on useless and wasteful projects that do not benefit the masses and America at large, but instead benefit only a small handful, and that is usually the rich and the ultra-wealthy. And that chasm and that divide is growing ever larger day by day, week by week, year by year in America, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. It used to be that everybody could aspire to having something and having a good life. That is not so much possible anymore. And there's so many different factors that fit in with that, and I could talk about that as an economist because I am one. And it really pisses me off that there is little that I can do as an average citizen except vote. And sadly, we here in America don't really truly live in a, a true democracy where our vote really would count as a populist vote, which I believe it should. Many Americans 
tend to be raw with rage right now because they're not given a chance to mellow out. And how can they? How can they mellow when they're constantly, constantly being bombarded with hate speech and media that is sour and divisive, which is what beats the drum at Fox News, Truth Central, Trump's place, and other raw media outlets supported by the far right, Steve Bannon, and the likes of Donald Trump. So yes, I am worried. I am worried that Donald Trump, who fashions himself as a Mussolini and Hitler, hating everyone and everything that is not him, 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 and doing things his way, could actually have a chance of getting back into office, the presidency, and thus destroy our country and everything that we have built this country to be. Donald Trump and Steve Bannon have a well-orchestrated plan to bring down the government from within if he gets back into office. So I'm going to tell you just a little part about what his plans are should he take office again, should we allow him back in. And this comes from an article written by the um, Atlantic Journal and a fellow by the name of Jonathan Raunch. I hope I got that right. And Marks Felix, dated August 29th, who entitled his article, Trump's Second Term, What It Would Look Like. And it looks like this. Now, Jonathan Raunch is a contributing writer at the Atlantic and a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and he is the author of The Constitution of Knowledge, A Defense of Truth, recently published. And I was just taken by this article, and I had to talk about it. And it goes like this. Ever since the United States Senate failed to convict Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection, and it was an insurrection, and to disqualify him from running for president again, a lot of people, myself included, have been warning that a second Trump's term could bring about the extinction of the American democracy. And I truly believe that is true. Essential features of the system, including the rule of law, honest vote tallies, and orderly succession of power, would all be at risk. Today, however, we can do more than just speculate how a second Trump term would unfold because the MAGA movement has been telegraphing its plan in some detail for quite some time. In a host of ways, including the overt resent, uh, embrace of illiberal uh, foreign leaders, the ruthless behavior of Republican elected officials since 2020, Trump's allies elaborate scheming as uncovered by the House January 6th Select Committee to prevent a peaceful transition of power and Trump's own actions in the waning weeks of his presidency and now as ex-president, he is on the warpath for that as a former president and his allies have clearly laid out their model and, and their methods that they will use. Begin with the model. Victor Orban has been the Prime Minister of Hungary twice. His current tenure began in 2010. He is not heavy-handed as a tyrant. He has not led a military coup or appointed himself maximum leader. Instead, he follows the path of what he calls 
illiberal democracy, combining populist rhetoric with machine politics, he and his party, Fidesz, have rotted Hungarian democracy from within by politicizing media regulation, buying or bankrupting independent media outlets to get rid of the media, appointing judges who tow the party line only, creating obstacles for opposition parties, and more. Same things Donald Trump's doing. Hungary has not gone from democracy to dictatorship yet, but it has gone from democracy to democracy-ish. Freedom House rates it as only partly a free country. The International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance ratings show declines in every democratic indicator since the Fidesz party took power. The MAGA movement has studied Orban and Fidesz attentively. Hungary is where Tucker Carlson, and we all know Tucker Carlson, the leading U.S. conservative media personality who is sometimes mentioned as a possible presidential contender, took his show on the road for a week of fawning broadcast. Orban is the leader with whom Conservative Political Action Conference brought in as a keynote speaker in August. He told the group what it loves to hear. We cannot fight successfully by liberal means. Trump himself has made clear his admiration for Orban, praising him as a strong leader and respected by all. The same crap that he did for Kim Jong-un and uh, the president of China. Now for life. The U.S. is an old and better established democracy than Hungary. How then could MAGA acolytes emulate Orban in the American context? To simplify matters, set aside the possibility of a stolen or contested 2024 election, and suppose that Trump wins a fair electoral college victory. In this scenario, beginning January 2025, he and Trump supporters set about bringing Budapest to the Potomac by increments, and their playbook is simply this. First, the Trump will install toadies in all his key positions. Upon regaining the White House, Trump will systematically and unabashedly nominate personal loyalists, with or without qualifications, to Senate-confirmed jobs. Assisted by the likes of Johnny McAtee, White House aide during his first term, and Carl Pestel, the Pentagon staffer, he appoints officials willing to purge conscientious civil servants who are careerists, neutralize or fire inspector generals, and ignore or overturn inconvenient rules to his administration. A model for this type of appointee is attorney Jeffrey Clark, a little-known lawyer who led the Justice Department's environmental division. He secretly plotted with Trump towards the end and the White House after the 2020 election to replace the acting attorney general and then used the Justice Department's powers to pressure officials in Georgia and other states to overturn the election. Only the threat of mass resignations at the Justice Department derailed Jeffrey Clark's scheme. Trump has plenty of Jeffrey Clarks from which to choose from, and a Republican-controlled Senate 
which would confirm most, if not all of them. But no matter, if the Senate balks or if the Democrats control it, Trump will simply do more and more of what he has raised to an art in his first term, and that is appointing only acting officials to circumvent any Senate confirmation, a practice that the Associated Press reports, quote-unquote, prompted muttering, but no more than that from Republican senators whose job descriptions includes confirming top administration aides, quote-unquote. The next thing, the second thing that Trump would do would be to intimidate all career bureaucracy. In other words, career civil servants, of which I was one, um, there's many. On his second day and second term, Trump would sign an executive order reinstating an innovation he calls Schedule F, federal employment. Right now, there is no such thing. This designation would effectively turn tens of thousands of career civil servants who have a hand in actually shaping policy into at-will employees that could be fired at will. Now, he approved Schedule F in October before his final year in office was out, but when Biden took over, he rescinded it. Career civil servants have always been supervised by political appointees, which are Schedule C, and within the boundaries of law and regulation, so should they be. Schedule F, however, gives Trump a new way to threaten all bureaucrats with retaliation and job termination if they resist or even question him. The result is thus to weaken an important institutional safeguard against Trump's demands to do so everything from harass his enemies to alter weather forecasts, which Trump did try to do. Third, Trump would co-opt the armed forces, which he also did try to do, and this time he will. Having identified the military as the locus of resistance in the first term, Trump will set about cashiering senior military leaders out of office. In their place, he would promote and install officers who will raise absolutely no objections to his crazy illegal stunts, such as sending troops to round up undocumented immigrants and to intimidate, threaten, or even shoot protesters. Within a couple years, the military would grow into an acting political instrument of the White House and Trump's army. We would no longer have a separation of powers. Now, fourth, Trump would bring law enforcement to its heel. How would he do this? Even more intimidating to the president's opponents than a complacent military is his securing full control at long last over the Justice Department. In his first term, both Trump's attorney generals bowed to him in some respects, but they did stand up to him when it mattered most. Jeff Sessions, by recusing himself from the Russia investigation and allowing a special counsel to be appointed, and Bill Barr, by refusing to endorse Trump's election lies and seize voting machines which he tried to do. Everyday prosecutions remained in the hands of ordinary prosecutors. That would now change. Trump's immediate would immediately install political operatives to lead the DOJ, the FBI, and the intelligence and security agencies to do his bidding as a precedent, excuse me, the Biden 
Justice Department's investigations of the January 6th events. The White House orchestrates criminal investigations of dozens of Trump political enemies, starting with critics such as the ousted Liz Cheney and whistleblowers such as the former heroic White House aide Cassidy Hutchison. And let me tell you, that young lady is a true hero. With or without winning convictions, multi-pronged investigations and prosecutions would bankrupt and target these people financially, and they would be repudiated, menacing anyone who opposes Donald Trump or the White House. And most actions carried out by the Justice Department under Trump and national security agencies would tend to remain somewhat routine in 2025 and beyond, but that really doesn't matter because no prosecution would ever be above political suspicion or influence. And no Trump adversary would be exempt from fear. Just as important as it is with whom the government chooses, not to prosecute or harass, it would stay in the hands of MAGA street militias, election shysters, and other allies of Trump, as we're seeing on the news today. The result is that federal law enforcement and security apparatus would become under Trump and what Trump claims they are today under Biden, political enforcers. Most of us who have any common sense, we know that Trump is in the hands of the Russians and has close ties to the Chinese, but there would be no prosecutions ever, ever against the Russian mob, Vladimir Putin, who is doing his bidding via Trump. Fifth, Trump would weaponize the use of the pardon. In Trump's first term, Officials stood up to many of his illegal and unethical demands because they feared legal jeopardy themselves. The president has a fix for that. He wasn't joking when he mused about pardoning all of the January 6th rioters. In his first term, he pardoned some of his cronies and dangled pardons to discourage potential testimony against him, but that was a mere dry run for what he intends to do if he elected again. Now unrestrained by politics, Trump offers impunity to those who do his personal bidding, much like Hitler, much like Mussolini, much like Gaddafi. They may still face some jeopardy under state laws and local laws, but from professional sanctions such as disbarment, the Trump premises would bestow pardons and his threats to withhold them open in an unprecedented space for abuse and corruption in office. This is not what America needs, people. Sixth, and finally, the final blow. Trump would defy the courts. Naturally, the president's corrupt and lawless actions incite a blizzard of lawsuits. Members of Congress sue to block illegal appointments. Interest groups sue to overturn corrupt rulemaking. Targets of investigation sue to squash subpoenas, and so on. Well, Trump would meet all of these challenges with a long practice aplomb, as he has always done. He uses every tactic in the book to contest Stonewall Dangle and politicize litigation. He's doing it right now. He has hundreds of lawsuits against him. He creates a perpetual motion machine of appeals and delays while court after court rule against him. Ultimately, however, 
matters will come to a head for America. He loses on appeal and faces court orders to stop what he's doing. At that point, he simply ignores the court judgments. A famous precedent suggests, actually, that he will get away with it. In 1832, the Supreme Court ruled that states were illegally seizing Indian lands. President Andrew Jackson, a racist proponent of forced assimilation, declined to enforce the verdict of the Supreme Court. The states continued, therefore, stealing Indian lands and doing with them what they pleased. And the federal government also joined in under the presidency. Trump, who also hung a portrait of Andrew Jackson near his desk in the Oval Office, no doubt knows this little bit of history, and he probably also knows the consequences that Jackson faced by openly defying the Supreme Court. None. So, with re-election of 2024 in the balance, defying the courts was a bridge the president did not cross in his first term. But from the beginning of that term, with the Supreme Court scrutinized his Muslim travel ban, to the very end when the court swatted away his blitz of spurious election lawsuits, the judiciary was the strongest bastion of rule. Its prestige and authority were such that not even a belligerent sociopath such as Trump could destroy it. But now that Trump has all of his own majority appointees on the Supreme Court, Trump can, in fact, do whatever he wants if he gets reelected. So, with that, my people, those who believe in democracy, those who have served their country faithfully and loyally and raised their right hand to swear allegiance to the Constitution, such as I and you, if we don't get out and vote in 2024, and not by ballot, physically get out and vote and cast your vote, against Donald Trump, then the danger is you and I and everybody else may lose this wonderful democracy that we live in. And so with that, all I can say is Bob out.